cool stuff, fun stuff. Well, today we're going to be talking about the 10th plague. Does that not sound fun? We're going to be talking about the 10th plague today, and uh, it's one of those passages that just straight up with you. It's one of those passages you just go, oh my, oh my. But it's also one of those passages who, let me put it in this term, who is covered by the blood that says, wow, that's my God. We're going to be hitting some background information here just for a couple minutes, and then we're going to go to the text, and then we're going to have communion. All of this is together. Communion is part of the sermon this morning. And if you wonder, why in the world do we do this, remember the blood and body of Christ? I really am praying that today will help us see that and understand it better. And we're actually going to see it out of Exodus chapter 12. Go figure. Well, let me hit some background information here, okay, before we go to our text. A couple things, actually four things. One, I want first to remember Genesis 15, 13 through 14. And I'm sure everybody has that verse memorized, right? Or maybe not. Um, Genesis 15, 14, 13 and 14 says this. I'll say this from my notes. The Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. By the way, this was said 650 years earlier than what we're about to read in our text today. And he's referring to what's going to happen to the Hebrews being slaves in Egypt. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's happened. And then God says this, But Abram, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. I want us to go into our text remembering this. God knows what he's doing. He's not a God that's distant and just created stuff and just willy-nilly whatever. God is involved in the details and the timing and everything's moving right where he wants it to go. Wow, am I glad for that. That's one. Secondly, let's remember the Jewish calendars. Remember the Jewish calendars. What are you talking about? Well, there's two calendars. There's the, there's the civil calendar that really starts from September, October. And then we're going to see in our text today a second calendar that gets started. It's really the religious calendar for the Jewish people. And it starts with Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll see it in a bit. Just want to get it out there. Third, I've already mentioned it, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, that may be something that, like me, you're not very familiar with. What is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, it goes right with Passover. Passover takes place, and then there's seven days that's a Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a seven-day feast following the Passover. It commemorates God's redeeming work and God's deliverance to set apart his people. You'll see that today out of our text. Why is it unleavened bread, and what does that mean? Well, leavening is the yeast. So why not yeast? Why eat bread without yeast all week? Uh, two main reasons. One is, is because yeast in those days were viewed as a symbol of sin. It wasn't that yeast was sin, don't get me wrong, but it was commonly viewed as an association with that which is wrong. So the, the Hebrews would eat bread, leavened bread, but this was a time that they would dedicate themselves not to having yeast in their bread. And secondly, you can remember it this way, yeast puffs up, right? When you put it in bread, it puffs up. God is not about puffed up people. God is about people who are low 
and who lay themselves before him. So we'll see the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Fourth thing I want to bring up is reminding us about what an Exodus Hebrew was like. The person who lived during this time, a couple things, three things, what they were like. First, they lived a life of slavery. A child at the time of the Exodus most likely had the prior six generations of their family were slaves. That meant that their great, 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 great grandparents were slaves. Why do I bring that up? Because your background in history is a big deal in your life. It influences how you think. It influences how you look at things. We can grow and change through Christ. No question about that. But it does impact so much about you. And imagine that if all six generations for your life, you were servants to Egypt. That affects how you think. That affects how you talk. That affects your views of life. It affects your practices and your attitudes. And those are people who had a life of slavery. Second, they had a life of polytheism. Put it this way, modern day terms. A person living in that day was not really sold out for Jesus. <laughs> they weren't sold out for Yahweh. And we talked about that the last two weeks, Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20 tells that the Israelites were people who were fully engaging themselves in all the gods of Egypt, small g gods. And they were partaking in it. And in fact, it said they would not give them up. And so these were people who were not God worshipers, Yahweh worshipers, and yet God spares them. Why? I mean, in many ways, they were no different than the Egyptians from that standpoint, other than their, is, is, is this a race thing? No, this is a God's grace thing and a God committed to his word thing. We're going to see that coming along. A life of slavery, a life of polytheism, but in light of all that, they were having a recent experience with a big God. Let's just say it this way. You don't know the exact time of all the plagues, but I'm going to say it's probably around a year or maybe a little bit less. For the last year of their life, these polytheistic slaves have been seeing Yahweh do his thing. And that has had a huge impact. on. They've seen the results of the plagues. I think they experienced, personally experienced, they were not spared from the, first, the results of the first two plagues. But we did see in the text that the, that the third through ninth plague, they were spared from those. And they saw God's grace. They were learning about God. And God was revealing himself. In fact, God was so revealing himself that he was, they were seeing his power, his hatred of idolatry, his judgment of sin, his sovereign control, his grace. And they've been watching this for the last year. This has big impact on what we're about to take a look at. Well, let's go to our text. And before we do that, let me pray. Lord, I pray as we go to this text today that you would show yourself big to us. Help us to understand more you and your grace and your redeeming work. Having a blast in you and with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll have some people kind of meandering around with the Bible you're welcome to borrow. And uh, let's get going. You ready? Okay, Exodus chapter 1, chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to study the Bible together, and we're going to have a blast. Are you ready? 
okay, yeah, all right, let's go. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Now, this first section, God is talking to who? (laughs) Fourth of July weekend. Everybody slept in for the second service. That's great. Let me ask this. God is speaking to who? Okay, yeah, I love the interaction. This is us. We're having a blast with the text, okay? All right, so the Lord's speaking to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, verse 2. This month, God is speaking, shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now, God is setting up a calendar. As I mentioned, there was a civil calendar, but God is setting up a new calendar, kind of commonly is called uh, the religious calendar, that God sets it up. Listen, this is the beginning of what we're about to see. God is completely rewiring their life. Okay, let's watch. And he's starting with a calendar. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall uh, take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Uh, So God is telling them they need to go get a what? A lamb. And on the 10th day, they're to do this. Then they're on the 14th day is actually when they sacrifice it. Why the setting apart? I think what they're doing, God is doing here. It doesn't tell us specifically, but later in, the, in, in God's working, I think what we see here is God saying, listen, you go to the lambs, you find a perfect lamb, you take and you move it over, you pull it. It's a lamb without blemish. It's a male. It's a year old. And you set it aside for four days. Why four days? I think for four days so that they could watch to make sure that the lamb was healthy and met the requirements and it wasn't sickly, something wasn't going on. Because this is a consecrating, this is a very special big deal thing. By the way, what kind of lamb? It's without blemish. How old is the lamb? A year old. And what kind of lamb is it? It's a male lamb. Verse 6, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, sacrifice, at twilight. It's about midnight, it's between the two nights. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses. The doorposts are the side frame boards. The lintel is the top board that goes across Uh, the top of the doorway. So put it on the two doorposts and on the lintels of the houses in which they eat it. By the way, it's not on every house in the universe. It's on the house to where they have the Passover sacrifice and the evening moves along. Verse, uh, what is that? Verse eight, they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Now, if you've been here for this series so far, this text right here is completely different than anything we've come across so far. Two big reasons. 
Number one, because God is talking specifically to the Hebrews, to the Israelites. And when you go back chapters 11 and before, God is really talking, addressing, uh, talking to Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh, or the Egyptians. That's most of the focus. Now the focus is getting directly on the Hebrews. And the second reason is, is it's kind of like this is a parent who says, have you, have you got your shoes? Did you get your coat? Did, did you get your hat? Did you get all this kind of stuff together? And this is different than what's taking place. This is a time for a whole lot of questions to be asked. Let me, let me kind of emphasize it this way. I think 17 questions could be asked out of what just happened. Listen, why sacrifice a lamb? Why sacrifice? Why sacrifice a lamb? Why not an ox? Why not a fish? Why not a fruit? Why not a tree? I mean, why not get grapefruits? Why not sacrifice a tree? Seriously, why? Remember, they did not have the New Testament, okay? Put ourselves in their place at this time. So why sacrifice a lamb? Why a lamb without any blemish? Why a male? That's sexist. Why one year old? Why the blood? Why not like the fur? Why not something else? Again, at this point in time, at this day, it, these are good questions that could be asked. Why the blood? Why paint it on the door frame? Why the door frame and the lintel? Why roast the lamb? Why eat only unleavened bread? Why eat the meal with bitter herbs? Why not eat any of it raw? Why can't I boil it? What do I have to do? Why do I have to roast it with its head and its legs and its inner parts on? Ew. Why can't I let any remain until morning? Why do I have to burn the remaining that's left in the morning? Why, can't I, why do I have to eat it with my belt fastened, my sandals on, and my staff in the way? I mean, have you ever tried to eat dinner with staff in your hand? It's not easy. No, I haven't done it. Why do I have to eat in haste? Why, 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 why? Listen, if you've hung around me or know me, I love questions. I love people that ask questions. In fact, one of my concerns nowadays is people are not asking enough questions. They're just going along in life and willy-nilly world. And they're not asking questions. But then there comes a point in time where questions are asked. And as questions are asked, who is the one that the questions are being laid before? Think of it this way. Think of what's taking place here. If I were doing the question asking in the way that I just talked about, I would be going, in essence, I am questioning God because God said to do these things. I'm going, God, why a lamb? Why the blood? Why a year? Why a male? Why at night? Why this? Why that? Why that? Why that? Why that? Why that? Now, questions are okay to ask, but there comes a point in time where you have to take into account what's taking place here. And listen to me, there comes a point in time where we are submitting the questions to God. And by the way, do not forget that for the last year, these people have seen the power and the presence of God. And God now comes in and says, now that, I love the way the pattern is, God shows himself. And then God comes in and says, okay, now here's how I want for you to live. And they could be like, forget you. That is an option. That's a legitimate option. And yet, how, why does God ask him to do this? Look at the very end of the verse. Why is the, what is the answer to the whys? 
very end of the verse, verse 11, it is the Lord's Passover. That's why. It's not Doug's Passover. It's not the Hebrews' Passover. It's not the Israelites' Passover. This is whose Passover? This is the Lord's Passover. Listen, when you come into my home, in essence, you follow our rules. If I come into your home, I follow your rules because that's your rule. True? They are now under God's rule. And God has the authority to say, this is how you are to live. God is completely restructuring, completely setting up a life for these people to live. And they ask questions. I wonder how they're going to respond to it. We'll see. It is the Lord's Passover, verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt at night, and I, God, will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Dude. What? Wait a second. Let me, speaking of questions, let me ask you a question. How is it that a loving, gracious God could do that? Okay, that's a question. Good question. How is it that a loving, gracious God could come and kill the firstborn? By the way, is the firstborn babies? Who's the firstborn? Okay, would that include you as well? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, here, here in the process, as we take a look at this, I just want to bring this into the thing. Why could God do this? I, I think there's potentially four answers to that quickly. One is because of God's eternal perspective. This just brings in the reality, folks, you and I struggle to see things from God's perspective. You see, when we see death, we, see, we think gone, done, over. Everything that's good for that person is done now. When my dad died, everything is, that's just not fair. Understand it, been there. But from God's perspective, God sees death not as done, but as transfer. Here, there, seriously, does it really matter to God whether we're on the earth or whether we're with him? To God, living and life is alive. The soul continues. And so here there's an eternal perspective, I think, clearly comes into this. Secondly, just the cultural primacy of the firstborn. Why is God doing this? Because the firstborn culturally in that day has primacy. I'm the third of three boys. I got the leftovers. <laughs> okay. We don't understand quite the primacy of the firstborn, but they did back then. And this is a judgment, and God is bringing that judgment. By the way, in Exodus chapter 13, God also says, the firstborn are mine. Uh, third, I think part of the reason is, is because God is God. He's creator. He's righteous. He's just. He's sinless. He's holy. And listen, these kinds of questions can be good questions, but at some point in time, we have to realize that I am going to, if you will, I, I commonly picture myself before God asking the question, God, like, why can you, how can you do that? I mean, come on. That's not fair. And then sit back and listen and I'm like, listen, if you know what the scriptures talk about, the, 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 the character of God, I am going to walk away from that conversation going, oh, okay, got it. Because you're God. And by the way, there's no sin in there because you're God. And sometimes we push this to the point to where what ends up happening is, is it's like small G God arguing against B, big G God. And big G God 
wins. Always wins. And he's always perfect. Come back to his character with our questions. And remember, he's holy, righteous. He's God. Uh, fourth, because he's executing judgment. If you remember in Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh made a judgment call and said all of the Egyptian or all of the Hebrew male children born are going to be thrown into the river and killed. So what does God do? God comes back and brings his own, Pharaoh's own judgment. What you sow, you will reap. And God brings his own judgment back on him. Very interesting. Uh, but you can ponder that whole issue. God strikes the firstborn in the land of Egypt, he says, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. That's why, that's why he can do this, because he is the Lord. Verse 13, now look at this, the blood now, whenever we think of this, the blood, it's like, what is the blood? You know, sometimes there's especially some older hymns that sing about the blood. And it's kind of like, ew, right? It's like, what is it, the blood? Uh, take a look here. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see, when God sees the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Listen, the blood for mankind is, it, it is a sign, it's a telling sign for us. The blood for God is a sight, it's a telling sight for God. For us, it's a telling sign. For him, it's a telling sight. What do we mean by that? It's a telling sign because it's something physically applied to the outside of the door. Listen, why is God going to pass over you? Because look, look at the blood on the door. It's a telling sign. It's a telling sign of where I'm putting my faith. I'm not going to paint the door. Fine. Then you don't have it there. That's a telling sign that you don't have the blood covering that household. But when you put it there, it's a telling sign for me. It's a telling sign for us. Look, there's a house with the blood on it. For God, it's a, it's a, it's a telling sight as he passes over. God is looking over. God is looking at homes. And he's going, there's the blood. There's the blood that covers. There's the blood that covers. There's not the blood that covers. And for God, it's a passing over. And he's looking. And he's looking. And he's looking. And in this moment of this judgment that's being brought, the homes that have the blood that are painted and the people are stuck inside, stayed inside, God passes over them. It's a telling sign for us. It's, it's a telling sign for us, and it's a telling sight for God. Let's pick up verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. It's a whole set-apart process. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Verse 16, on the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. Isn't that cool, by the way? They all get together on the first day, and they all finish together on the last day. It's not just personal. It's corporate as well. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, 
from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For, again, this is all coming back to the calendars. For seven days, verse 19, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Now it switches. Verse 21, then Moses called all the elders together. Moses takes what God has said and is now going to communicate to this plurality of elders of Israel what God said. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go, select lambs for yourselves according to your clans, kill the Passover lamb, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. So they kill the lamb, they put the blood in a, in a, in a, uh, a bucket or whatever, and they, they take hyssop, it's a plant, they dip it, they go slap, 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 slap on the top. What if they only did one? What if they just did the top? What if they just did the side? Can I just make a comment? Because now they're starting to play with God's commands. Why does God say put it on the doorpost and the lintel? It's really an easy answer. Because God said so. Really. And you know what? That's okay by me. Because he is God and I am not. Verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the little and two doorposts and the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. Very important. Verse 23, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, it's a telling sight for God. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. I wonder what they're going to do. And, and the people bowed their heads in worship. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, they did so. Oh, oh folks, this is faith put in action. In fact, let's just finish the last paragraph and we'll see this even clearer. Verse 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Wow. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Whoa. 31. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Pharaoh said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord. That's interesting. Pharaoh saying what God said earlier. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. You are completely annoying me to literally death. Oh, and by the way, P.S. And bless me also. 
interesting. Hey, um, as, as we take a look at this, we have to put ourselves that night there as a Hebrew. This is such a wonderful definition of what faith is. Uh, just think of this. Faith is the process. They've heard the words of God, what they should do. Now they have a question. Are they going to do it? Are they going to go obey? Are they going to take those words as God's words, or are they going to do something else with it? There's really three options. Because at that point, after they've heard the words, the one, they could reject it. They could just say, whatever, next. I don't believe you. you know, I'm a, grown in a polytheistic world. I've been treated like garbage all my life. I hate authority, and I hate you, and I'm not going to listen to lick to what you say. And that's an option. You can do that. It's a clear option. In fact, that was an option Pharaoh took. Uh, another option is that you can reject it, or I'll call it, you can slack it. Let me put it this way. You go and you paint, you, you put the blood on the door frame, you put the blood on the lintel, and then that night you go outside and you just want to be outside and see what happens. Now, there's a big difference. God said to beware. Okay, inside. Now, I've got this picture of this red umbrella here, and so it's this way, in essence, kind of as an image. This is what I'm to place myself under. I'm to place myself, put, put the blood there. I'm putting a, a, a telling sign of where I'm at so that as God comes over, he sees the sign of my heart done in action, and then I'm hunkering down there. And imagine being there that night. And you know it's getting darker and later and later. And God says he's going to pass over that night. And here's the reality of faith. Listen, God has been showing himself for the last year. I am convinced that this God is God. And he said to do this. And I'm going to put it. And so there's a faith. There's a confidence. There's a strength. And then you put it on the door. Faith put into action. And then that night you get there and you go, I sure hope this works. I mean, for real. There's a reality to that, folks, because my whole family's hunkered down here together. And this big God we've been seeing bringing these plagues for the last 8, 12 months, he is passing over, and it's not about how great I am. It's not a comparative thing. It's not whether I'm better than Nick or Nick's better than me, our families, and God, our two homes are here, and God picks the one that's better. That's not what's going on. It doesn't matter. These are polytheistic slaves who are not Yahweh committers at the point, but now they're learning it. And God, there, you're hunkered down in the home, and it's all about the blood. It's all about the blood. Because God said, Passover, it's not about a great I am. It's about the blood. It's not about my works. The only work I've done is to apply what God said for me to do. And I've received that. I've placed it on a house. And God passes over. So during the night, it's like, oh, oh man. Whew, please, 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 blood. Do your thing. Do your thing. And then God passes over. And it's like, yeah, the blood. It worked. That was the thing. It wasn't me. The blood. It was me obeying what God had said to done. That that was the, the that was the sacrifice. That that was the, the the atonement has been made through the blood. Yeah, time to celebrate. And that's when God says, "Feast of unleavened bread. Celebrate for a week." Woo! Why? Because God has passed over, and His grace has spared me. Because of the sacrificial blood put on the doorframe of my home. 
Listen, do you see how all the way back there, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is wrapped up in that? Do you see that? Isn't that so cool? All the way back then, they never even heard of the name of Jesus. They didn't even really know of the, the, the work of the Trinity going on. But they knew this. There was a big God, and the God said, this is how your life is to be spared as I bring judgment. And they go, okay, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to hunker down, and I'm trusting in you. And like, whoa. I mean, that night, can you imagine that morning when they're all out there for brunch, hanging out together? And they're like, yeah. My God, whoa. And then they hear about the Egyptians and what's taking place in his judgment. Folks, this comes into communion. Communion is a time to remember. Remember it said for the generations to come, continue the feast, continue this. And yet the greater has come in Jesus Christ. And the remembrance of the shed, sacrificed body of the perfect male lamb was shed and the blood was poured out and we celebrate that. Cool God. Incredible grace. Questions? Has the blood been applied to your life. The scriptures say, as many as received him, the many as received Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, nailed to the cross. Why? Because it talks about how he was the sacrificial lamb without blemish. God in the flesh, nailed to a cross, but victorious, rising from the dead, to seal, to be a substitute, to be a substitutionary atonement for you and I. And it's made available to all. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you heard the words of God and said, listen, I want to apply it to my life, and then lived under it? It's not just a golden ticket. It's a change of life without Christ, now with Christ, living under the blood. And by the way, it's not like bummer life from here. Now I got to live for God and Jesus. Like I can't do squat. Listen, forgiveness, joy, opportunity. Oh, folks, life with God is great. Life apart from him bites. So communion is an opportunity to celebrate having gone from bitten to redeemed by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke 22. And those are going to be helping with communion. We go ahead and come on down and let's get set up for communion. Luke 22, just want to read this passage. Whenever one partakes in communion, you cannot fully get communion until you understand what's happened at Passover. And in fact, look, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, 
I have earnestly desired to eat this what? This Passover. Listen, folks. Jesus Christ was sacrificed. The perfect lamb, the unblemished lamb, was killed, was sacrificed. His blood was shed at Passover. Oh, does God not like know what he's doing? And at Passover time, this is what's taking place. And he says, and so I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you, the sacrifice lamb. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Listen, this is why we celebrate at communion, the shed body, the sacrificed body, and the shed blood of Jesus. The perfect lamb, sacrifice for you and I. Here's the deal. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if there's been a time in your life where you've received Christ as your Savior, we want for you to partake here this morning in communion because for you, it's like the, yeah, celebrate. I remember what he's done and how it's applied to my life. If you're at a place where you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, this could be the greatest thing you could possibly do today. As many as received him, just like back then, applied it to their life and lived it out. Is the blood of Christ painted on the doorframe of your life? And then are you residing under that? And, and if not, I would just, you know, just don't partake today. Just consider and think this through. And God, show yourself to me. Help me understand this more. But what we're going to do is worship team is going to play a song. And just go ahead and take a little bit, kind of uh, spend some time with the Lord and and then just when you're ready, just get up, come on over, grab, grab a piece of the bread, grab a cup, bring them both back to your table or your chair, and then we'll partake together, okay? Nick?